Welcome to Shooting for the Stars, a podcast series brought to you by Southern Cross Business Advisors, helping our clients identify and achieve their life goals. And it's a very warm welcome to everyone tuning in to the latest episode of Shooting for the Stars, brought to you by Southern Cross Business Advisors across all the major podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, the Podcast Index, and rss.com. Louis Bulzomi with you here in SCBA headquarters at 234 Deacon Avenue, Mildura. It's an absolute pleasure to welcome our main man down south from Melbourne. He's up here for a little while in Mildura. It's the senior client manager himself, Nahit Middle. Nahit, welcome. Hi, Louis. Hi, everyone. Glad to be here. Well, have we got a lot to get through today. Now, Star Wars came out with something called The Empire Strikes Back quite a long time ago. Seems like the ATO is striking back with what they're proposing in terms of attacking family trusts. Yeah, it's, uh, it's been on the cards for a very long time. I think Division 7A reform. It's been talked about, talked about, talked about. No one's really had the audacity to, to take it on. But bang, all of a sudden we get, we get a PCG. We get a, we get a, uh, a guideline from, from the tax office targeting family trusts, as you say. And it's, it's quite revolutionary. It's... It's changed the way us as practitioners now go about our business when dealing with distributions to, to adult beneficiaries, uh, but we'll, we'll get into that shortly, no doubt. Indeed. So PCG, for those who are not aware, stands for Practical Compliance Guideline, and the one that we are talking about here is relation to Section 100A of the Income Tax Assessment Act 1997 in terms of reimbursement agreements. So when a distribution is given out and it's not paid straight up, there would be an agreement in place to say, that's okay, I don't want to take the money now, that's fine, the trust can have it and use it for whatever purpose it needs, but the ATO is thinking, well, for a long time with adult children, it's you don't even ask questions, you just say, no, 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 we're doing that to try and dodge a bit of tax and keep that money for ourselves, which, look, you know as well as I know, no dodginess goes on, it's just the way that we work within the legislation as we see it, but what we do know, and this is just opinion, there's a fair big, fairly big hole in that uh, coffer in the federal budget. They need to fill that up, don't they? Yeah, absolutely, they do. And you know, one of the points that I that I was going to men- make mention of was was clearly, you know, it's set that the new reform is targeted to to fill a bit of a budget hole. Um, yep. It's disappointing, but like I said earlier, it's been on the cards for a very long time, and it's eventually now come round. So. All that free money getting uh, thrown around during the COVID period. Well, they were going to claw it back some way, somehow. Yeah, we had to come back started. somehow. Indeed. So just briefly, what Section 100A is, and I do apologise, there's, a, there's a, um, a hybrid tax act, effectively, the 1936 Act along with the 97 Act. It's actually the 1936 Act that still has this section with it. It's an anti-avoidance provision that has been around for over four decades. So broadly, it can apply where a beneficiary who is presently entitled to a share of trust income is not the person who actually benefits from that income. If this section applies, a distribution is invalid for tax purposes and the trustee is liable to pay tax on the distribution at the top marginal rate, which is currently 47%, so 45% plus your 2% Medicare levy. Now, there are some exclusions available, including for agreements entered into in the course of an ordinary family or commercial dealing, but they're looking to try and uh, close any loophole they can. Yes, in, yeah. Indeed, yeah. Now, so look, in, in terms of the background, as you've, as you've mentioned, Louis, the ATO really are taking a very strong position on how distributions from trusts are taxed, especially in the hands of adult beneficiaries. Um, 
for, for many, many years, practitioners have always used the tax-free threshold when distributing to adult beneficiaries. So most common circumstances when you know, an adult, adult child is uh, at university, not working or has minimal income from, from, a, from a job. And so trustees of trust determined that they'll use their, their child for beneficiary purposes with the obvious advantage of minimising tax across the family group. Unfortunately, though, uh, the tax office are well aware of these arrangements. They've been aware of these arrangements for a very long time. It's not to say that they were wrong. And, you know, in most circumstances, one of two things will happen. Either said beneficiary will get the cash that they've been entitled to. So if they get a distribution of $30,000 from the trust, mum and dad will, will give them a cheque for $30,000. There's that option, that scenario. Or the second scenario, which is probably more common than we think, is where the cash remains in the trust. And that could be for working capital, could be for future investment, it could be for um, lots of things. Um, so that is what we find um, is what the ATO is targeting, is that those specific scenarios, you either pay up, or if you're going to use it in the trust, well, then there are certain specific requirements. The big concern that we as practitioners are seeing is that it's, it's obviously very aggressive, but the ATO are proposing they'll go back as far as 2015 in reviewing these arrangements. And you can imagine the angst and the anxiety that it gives us when the ATO turn around and say, we're going to review something that happened seven years ago. And, and, if, and, if it, and, and, and the consequence of getting it wrong, so to speak, is... If a distribution to to an adult beneficiary is deemed to be invalid, then they'll basically issue a, a trustee assessment, which, as you mentioned, is forty seven percent of of that number. So, you know, to to, to give you a, a really simple example, if if Louis, you were in receipt of a distribution of thirty thousand dollars from your trust, and um, the tax office came along and said, we don't think that that's valid, then the trustee of that trust will get a forty seven cent assessment on thirty thousand dollars. So, you can imagine. The angst, especially when the dollars are a lot bigger than say thirty thousand dollars, and and like yeah. I said, the reform been on the card for a very long time, a very long time I should say, but I think part of it is almost in response to some of the COVID support that's been provided over the last two years. It's almost their way, or or the tax office's way slash federal government's way of starting to recoup some of that debt that they've had to acquire over over the last two years. Yeah, and what a time for them to bring it in as well. When we're on the horizon mm. of the federal election too in May. That's just mind-boggling that uh, a Liberal government would consider that or a coalition government would want to bring that in when they're trying to be the more conservative one and try and uh, parade that you know, we're, the, we're all about tax cuts, we're all about making the cost of living easier for everyone, at least from a tax point of view, but now here they are just ripping that carpet from under us. Last time any political party, major political party, decided to, to introduce tax reform, being Bill Shorten at the last election, I think the results speak for themselves. He got, he got pretty well massacred. At the polls, so as you said, it's a big call for for the government to uh, introduce this legislation and, and and target trusts in this way. But at the end of the day, they clearly have an agenda and and they're sticking to it. That's it. But uh, well, they've tried to soften the blow a little bit here as we look at that particular PCG that you mentioned the hit, mm. which is PCG twenty twenty two D one. So D obviously stands for draft at this stage. Yep. So Section 100A Reimbursement Agreements, the ATO Compliance Approach, they're, they're allocating trust into four different zones, so different yep. risk zones here. So we've got the white zone, which applies to arrangements entered into in the income years that ended prior to the 1st of July 2014. So except as described at paragraph 13 of that this PCG guideline, the ATO will not dedicate new compliance resources to consider the application of Section 100A to arrangement in the white zone. In other words, they won't look at them at all. Correct. So anything prior to the 1st of July 2014... 
you're fine. Yep. Then we've got the green zone, which applies to arrangements that are described within the guideline, paragraph 17 to 21, if anyone wants to research that on Google, which just takes you through basically the, the overall structure on how this all works. So the ATO will not dedicate compliance resources to consider the application of section 108 arrangements that are in that green zone. So ones that they think are not too critical or not too uh, alarming from their point of view, they'll say that's all fine. Yep. So my, most, of the, most of the time it would be like you said, if the trust actually does pay the money physically out, no worries, they're not even going to look at it. Or if they feel that the arrangement that's in place does comply with section 100A where the adult child, say for example, they work in, the, in that family trust, they're mm. actively involved in the business. So if they, back in the past, they were a minor, it would be what accepted income. So that's no issue there. Or if they have something potentially in writing to say, look, I'm happy for the family trust to keep this money and I'll call on it at another stage. Yep. Then you've got the blue zone. This applies to arrangements that do not fall within any of the other zones described in this PCG guideline. So arrangements in the blue zone may still be subject to review by the ATO, but are less likely to attract their attention than arrangements in what we're going to talk about in just a second, the red zone. So examples here are within paragraphs 25 and 26 of the guideline. So we will uh, talk about that in a little bit uh, down the track. So the ATO may get in contact to understand the arrangement and resolve any areas of difference, including whether section 100A applies. So they're kind of giving you a bit of a heads up. Yep. If you fall into the blue zone, they're not going to necessarily target you and say, all right, here you go, here's our own assessment, pay up straight away. They'll Don't want to have a talk to you. Oh, yeah, exactly right. And hopefully you'll get someone who can play ball and you should be all right. But there's no guarantee. That's the plan. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, we, we, uh, we're very conservative, aren't we, Nahid? It's always the most likely approach. We never say it's definite. Exactly. Too many legal ramifications. And then there's the red zone. And it's a red zone for a reason. This applies to arrangements that are described within paragraphs 30 to 45 of the guideline where the ATO will conduct further analysis on the facts and circumstances of the arrangement as a matter of priority. If they confirm the facts and circumstances of the arrangement are high risk, they will proceed to audit. I don't like that word, audit. No, and, you know, I guess we will chat briefly about the zones. And um, as I said earlier, in, in most circumstances, mum and dad will nominate child beneficiaries as being in receipt of a distribution, but the cash will, will most likely remain in the trust. And... Unfortunately, those arrangements, you know, they tend to fall in, in the blue zone um, where there's a complete blatant disregard for, for how distributions are being managed. It's a red zone and, and, and I think you'd be pretty silly if, if, if you think you can get away with it and uh, you, you would definitely get a knock on the door. Um, what I wanted to chat about briefly was, I guess, we'll divide it up into, into two, sex, two segments. How, how are we as a business, as as accountants and advisors dealing with past arrangements. So, you know, from 1 July 2014, as you said, and what are we doing in regards to that? And post 1 July 2022, which is when we expect, you know, legislation to take effect from, what are we telling our clients for the moment? And the big caveat at the moment is the ATO have simply just issued this guidance. They haven't really come out and formalised their position yet. There's there's obviously the industry bodies um, in Australia, namely CPA Australia, Chartered Accountants Australia, et cetera, et cetera, who uh, on behalf of their members are advocating for some reform around this just because it is very harsh. So until we get some really clear clarity from the ATO in terms of the, the compliance position in particular, it's all, all a bit unknown. Um, so I'll talk about the past. So fundamentally, it's, it's unclear. And as I said, the, the ATO have proposed to review arrangements from 1 July 2014 onwards and speaking to some colleagues... You know, there's, there's a theory that perhaps 
if we think that there's an issue, we should voluntarily amend some of these returns and perhaps uh, re, uh, redistribute those distributions from kids to corporate beneficiaries. Now, that's not quite the case at the moment. I think we still, like I said, we still need to wait for the ATO's compliance position and what position they're going to take with regard to the past arrangements. There might be an amnesty period, for argument's sake. They may, they may say, well, you know what, if you think that you've got an issue with a new client base, well, then say something, come to us, we'll, we'll review it, but we won't enforce any action. It's still to be confirmed as to how, as to how they're going to approach the past. It's just really all up in the air at the moment, and that's the key thing too, Nahid. It's still in draft phase. So yep. don't be alarmed yet, anyone. It's not officially law yet, yes. but thankfully we've been given the little tip off, the heads up to say, all right, let's plan for it just in case it does become law. I mean, look, there's the off chance it might get knocked on the head and eventually there's enough noise being made by our professions, by the professional membership bodies like CPA Australia, like International Chartered Accountants Australia, New Zealand and, and everyone else to say, no, nah, we're, not, we're not dealing mm. with this at all. And I know that there was a, a webinar that was held recently with uh, Change GPS where over 5,000 different accountants were on there and that included, of course, our firm where we were pretty irate with what yeah. we were hearing and, and even the presenters themselves were saying, this is just ridiculous. It's extremely harsh and... And it, and it really does go against what the ATO's position has been for, for many years. It's not necessarily that practitioners in the past have kind of uh, gone against what the ATO advised. This is completely new. This is, this is out of left field. And, and it really does call into question arrangements that for, for many years, many practitioners have, have employed. It's not, it's not something new. Uh, exactly right. And like one of the questions I posed back in that webinar was, is this, does this spell the, the death of the trust? Mm. You know, and, and is the, the focus now that the ATO doesn't want this mechanism anymore for tax minimisation, even asset protection and the like, and we just want to turn everyone corporate, go to companies. Yeah, and, and that's, that's a very valid point. Is Out of all of this, the question really should be asked going forward, is a trust the right structure going forward? Is perhaps keeping arrangements really simple through companies, paying the tax at, at, at the company tax rate and getting on with it, mm. a simple solution? But... At the same time, that doesn't necessarily always make sense because uh, with any company, you know, you need a shareholder. And uh, who are your shareholders going to be? Are they going to be individuals? Well, then that presents its own asset protection issues. Um, in, in, in most scenarios, you, you, you'll opt for, say, a trust shareholding structure. But again, if said company declares a dividend to trust, trust then what does it do with the, with the profit that it receives? Exactly. You know, so uh, there's, there's a lot of work and there's, there's a lot of consideration that needs to go into this. But I think, I think for the moment, um, sitting tight and just waiting for the ATO's really con concrete position is going to be critical at the moment. It is. So I guess the, the main thing that we can do is just draw up the different scenarios and say, all right, worst case scenario, this will happen. Yep. Best case scenario, we can mitigate it with this. And that's where tax planning really is going to be as important as ever. I, mean, I know when we talked last year about tax planning during the, the middle of COVID being one of the most important mm. tax planning seasons of probably ever in our lifetimes, mm. this may top it. This is, this is significant. This is significant. So then the other thing I want to talk about is, okay, you know, the past is the past. What's happened has happened. We can't really change that. And, and whatever the, the position that the ATO take with regards to the past arrangements, it'll be a bit of a wait and see approach. But what we can do being proactive advisors is to look to the future and say, well, how do we avoid the ire of the tax office going forward? We don't want to be on the radar, so to speak. And, you know, to avoid the, the jargon and the technical concepts, you know, the, the simple and almost plain vanilla scenario is where, you know, trust distribution goes to adult child and the cash is distributed to that child. 
and the, and and the and the child does whatever they want with that. Um, where the complexity arises is where they potentially gift that money back to mum and dad. And and there's a whole series of scenarios going to your earlier point about the zones. If this happens, then what ha- then what zone does it fall into? Um, the most, like I said, plain vanilla green scenario, green zone scenario is trust distributes the child, child receives di- cash distribution, child then goes and spends that money on whatever they choose to do. ATO have no issues about that whatsoever, and th- and that might work for some family groups, but you know for for trusts that are that are trading trusts or business trusts where they need that money for working capital, they need that money because it's tied up in stock or it's tied up in debtors, they've got creditors that need to pay, whatever it is, it's not always practical or feasible for the money to be distributed to, to, to child. Um, but again, there are a whole series of scenarios as to how best to manage that. Um, what I would suggest is have a proactive conversation with your advisor before 30 June this year as part of tax planning and, and review what has happened this year in particular and say, well, okay, you know, if I, if I want to give Louis $10,000 as, as a profit distribution then it would be prudent to say, well, okay, we should get a cash check for $10,000. Yeah. yeah, have that cash ready to go yeah. and plan for that and budget for that, exactly. Um, because clearly the tax office are, are making this a significant compliance focus and like I said, if we can uh, be proactive and, and avoid uh, being put on the radar going forward, that would be the best thing. Exactly. Now, I just want to touch on a couple more examples before we go on to what else they've got in in their draft legislation, which will be targeting bucket companies. Mm. So I'll throw a few examples to you in the heat and you can uh, give me your, your opinion as to which zone you will think it will fall into. So a trust distribution to help the adult kid pay for uni fees. Yeah, this is an interesting one. So which is a classic. Which happens all the time. Private school fees, university fees, um, you know, holidays, mum and dad have gone and bought a car for them. 99.9% of the scenarios, mum and dad will argue, well, hold on. I've done this for my child, so they shouldn't receive anything. Now, the tax office, this is where it gets really controversial. The tax office have come out and said, that's not a legitimate offset. That's a parental expense. So, bad luck, sorry. If you've paid something on behalf of the child and it's to do with a parental expense, e.g. school fees, you can't offset that. Bad luck. They're still entitled to a check for the, for the amount that they've distributed to. And that... That I think really has created a lot of angst and, and really put the bird amongst, uh, the cat amongst the pigeons, I should say, and really created a lot of issue because, uh, as I said, for many years, this has been a standard approach, which has always operated within the bounds of the legislation. But for the tax office to now come out and say, well, hold on, that's not our understanding. You can't offset, you can't say your mum and dad are paying on behalf of kids and therefore kid doesn't owe anything. He's not owed anything, I should say. That's a real game changer. That's it. And I guess when you talk about, yeah, the, the costs are really just part of bringing up your kid and, and supporting yep. your kid irrespective of whether you had a trust business or not, that's a fair argument, isn't it? I mean, it's a tough argument, definitely. And you say, oh, well, this is you know, the, the reward that we should get as parents for looking after you all mm. this way through. And we need to you know, try and get a bit of relief. But, you know, look at the, uh, the working mum and dads that are getting wages and doing the same thing. That's right. You know, or, or having a company where the kid's not getting a wage out of that or getting anything as a shareholder. So you know, look at those scenarios too and go, well, well, why does it have to be one rule for them and then a special rule for the trust? So that's a fair point. Yep, absolutely. You know, that's, that's a real tricky one. Yeah, so another, another example I'll throw at you. Hmm. Trust makes distribution to the adult child, 
pays the cash out, but the cash comes straight back. Yeah. Even if it's physically put into the kid's account and the kid says, all right, I'll give you that money straight away. Yeah, that, that's, that's, also not, uh, that's also not permitted. That's, mm-hmm. that's going to you know, create the attention, uh, attract the attention of the tax office. Can't do that either. Like I said, maybe in this scenario, kid gets the cash and kid spends it. It's not given back to mum and dad for, you know, for reimbursement of expenses. Bad luck. If you do that, you will get caught out. That is red zone. Yep. Pretty much every day of the week. Good luck trying to argue that into a blue zone. So they're sort of the main ones. But what about if the trust gives the cash out and the kid agrees to say, all right, well, look, it is my money, but I'm happy to slowly pay that back in sort of a loan arrangement. Or if the kid say, says, well, we owe the parents something for whatever, like the parents given us money to go and do this, not for school fees, not for anything that's sort of out of the, the, ch- the mm. child's control when they were a dependent, but they're now fully independent, asking for money from mum and dad, and now saying, all right, here's a way of us paying you back yep. in a loan agreement. Yeah, look, that's, that's okay, but again, it, it's, it's another step, it's another layer of complexity. You need to draw up a loan agreement, you need to have both parties signed to that agreement, you know, you need to keep maintain the record keeping as far as, well, okay, what have, what have mum and dad paid on behalf of the independent child, it's possible, but again, it, it's a lot of admin and you've got to question, well, is it really worth it at that point? Exactly. And then all of a sudden it becomes a legal matter and the costs just continue to escalate. So, right. so those are just some of the uh, more red flag examples that mm. would uh, come along to say, all right, this is where we've got to really do a lot of work. But the, the simple approach, as we've said pretty much right throughout this episode, just write a check out or right. put the deposit straight in, let the kid go and do whatever they want afterwards and then once it's all gone then you do whatever or the child is actually working in the business and gets that distribution as part of the the human capital that they provide yep. to that business and those ones will be more white and green so before i let you go Nahit, we'll quickly touch on now the uh, the old favorite the old bucket company yeah now, so they're going to tighten the screws on this as well now in the past well not too long ago i'm talking about you know post 2009 here the the thing with unpaid present entitlements to a company has been you've been given a year's grace before it turns into a Division 7A compliant loan or the option yep. to turn it into one if it hasn't been fully paid out. That's going to disappear. Yeah, so they're basically saying that uh, there's no problem in distributing to a corporate beneficiary. There's, there's no issue or bucket company. But from day one, it's going to have to be put on Div 7A terms. So that year of grace is, is not going to be there anymore. Um, the tax officer basically saying, no. Nah, it's source of financial accommodation from day one. Company needs to make a repayment on that loan. So it's a significant step and significant change, but it's probably not honestly all, all that unexpected. It was it was bound to happen at some point. Exactly, yeah. And this is under draft taxation determination TD 2022D1. When will an unpaid present entitlement or amount held on subtrust become the provision of financial accommodation? So if you want to do a bit of research into that, that's what you would type into or Google machine or equivalent search engine. So it's probably not as bad as what it sounds like. And then, all right, you, it's one year less to prepare for it, but it's still you do have the opportunity to get into a compliant Div 7A loan, pay it over mm. seven years unsecured or 25 years if you really want to take that quantum leap and put something up as security against it. So not necessarily a bad thing, Yep, I think. Yep. Probably not the worst thing. Can be definitely managed. So, well, that's pretty much wraps up uh, what is being thrown at us by the ATO, the ATO attack, as we've been mm. calling it. Nahit, it's been an absolute pleasure having you here, mate. Enjoy the rest of your stay in Mildura, and we look forward to doing it all again. Thank you so much. Senior Client Manager Nahit Mittal there with his 
expert analysis and insight into the draft legislation proposed by the Australian Taxation Office in relation to trust distributions to adult children and to bucket companies. That brings to a close our latest episode of Shooting for the Stars. Don't forget to subscribe via any or all of our major podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, The Podcast Index, and rss.com. And if you have a family trust and you need specific advice on how to deal with this legislation, should it become law, by all means, drop us a phone call on 03501864 and email admin at scba.com.au. If you're in the Mildura area, come and book an appointment and see us at 234 Deacon Avenue, Mildura, or get us online via Zoom, Microsoft Teams, or any way else. Louis Bulzomi here signing off, and as always, our clients at SCBA all have life goals, and we're here to help them identify and achieve them. Goodbye.